So today we're going to look in the, in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, you could turn there. But I want to go to the Lord in prayer, um, just asking him to speak to our hearts. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We do want to lift you high. That, that so much aligns with our purpose as a church, to point people to you. So, Father, as we take a few moments here and, and study your word, I pray, Lord, that you would be lifted high and that we would understand what your call is for us and what that means and how you enable that. So, Lord, be lifted high as we look to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's always dangerous when you um, do a couple things. I mean, first of all, it's always dangerous when you bring a bow and arrow in a church. I mean, that's for sure, you know. But it's also dangerous when you choose to tell a story from your life and you don't know that one of the main characters of that story is going to show up that day. Um, but my sister is here. I didn't know she was coming. This is my sister, Jennifer, right over here. She's going to come up and sing a song for you. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so, Jennifer, uh, payback for many, many years, right? So, my sister Jennifer is here, and there was a time I almost took her life, okay? You know what I'm telling, right? Yeah, she knows, she knows. When I was just a kid, um, I learned early on the, the just wonder of physics, and especially that of a projectile, and um, designing tools that would throw sharp objects long distances. You know, it was really cool. Uh, we, when I was a kid, my brother and I would make these things we called bean shooters. It was basically like a two-by-four with a piece of elastic and like a, uh, a great northern bean that we would shoot at people. Okay, that was fun. Graduated to slingshots, you know. And then one fateful day for Christmas, I got a bow and arrow. Now, this is not it, okay, but I got a bow and arrow. And it was so much fun because I wasn't limited to, you know, the little elastic or the, the slingshot. Man, this thing would go a long way. It was, it was a powerful, really killing instrument. And we would shoot at targets, you know, and bing, 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 shoot at small hay bales and that kind of thing. But one day we found this really cool game. It was so awesome. Now, you do not want to do this. Michael Kepley, you do not do what I'm getting ready to say. I will spank you, and so will your father. So... We would take this arrow, okay, I'm not going to fully work this out, but we would take this arrow and go probably 100 yards from my house, my brother and I and some friends and some cousins, and we would pull this thing back like this. You don't want to do this. And we would shoot that arrow, and it was so cool because it would go so high. You couldn't even see it. Now, we lived in the country, in the sticks, okay? There's just no danger. There's just no danger at all. It's just fine. An arrow would just go, and it'd just disappear. And the cool part was that you'd watch for it to come back, and it'd get out of the way. I mean, it was so cool. And we'd just do that, and it would go way up in the sky, and such a neat little game we would play. Well, one day we were out there on one side of the pond, and we thought, let's try to shoot an arrow in the sky and land on the other side of the pond. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Let's put a target over there, maybe, and we'll try to like launch him over there and land. Okay, Mickey, you go first. So I go over on the side of the pond, you know, and I choose my arrow wisely. All right, and I look at the, where we're trying to land, and and we wait, and we wait, fully expecting 
you know, to land right on the other side of the pond. Is it, is it, of course it will in your 10-year-old mind, right? I'm going to just on the edge of the pond, and we'll all applaud, and they'll lift me up in the air, and I'll be the hero. That's not what happened. All of a sudden, we hear this noise, okay? It's kind of hard for you to recreate the noise. It kind of sounds like this. And this is what I did. What was that? I don't really know, but I've, as I remember it in my brain, I'm sure it's exaggerated, and my sister will point it out to me, but I, I kind of remember seeing some people coming out of my house. There's my mom. There's my sister, my other sister, and my other sister, and, and there's my dad. And he doesn't look happy. <laughs> Something's wrong. To make a long story a little bit shorter, we headed over to the house, and there in the side of the house where my sister was out probably enjoying the sun, maybe, I don't know, but where she sat right next to her was, strangely enough, this arrow sticking in the side of the house. Yes, that's what I thought. She was there on the porch, and that arrow comes down, I mean, I'm sure, probably right between her ear and the side of her head, you know, I'm sure, maybe underneath her arm, I don't know, but it landed near, and let me tell you, I was in trouble. Now, of course, as, as always, my first response when my dad said, who shot that arrow? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. You know, I guess it was God. I don't know. The power, though, the power of this, this tool. I mean, this thing could shoot. Now, not this little guy, but it's not real powerful. But, but this thing, when used correctly, is a very powerful tool. It can accomplish great things. I mean, when I pull this thing back and let it go, it'll take off. But here's something else I've learned about this tool, this bow and arrow. I won't point it at you guys. Um, At least I'll try not to. If you use it wrongly, it does nothing or very little. You see, if somebody didn't know how to use this thing, they might walk up and say, all right, here it goes. Mm. That's pretty good. Right, let me try another one. Yeah, yeah. I'll try a little harder now. I'll try a little harder. So they, they line up and they, and maybe somebody else comes and says, you know, when you do that, you need to hold your mouth a little different. Ever somebody do that to you, by the way? It's so mean. Hold your mouth a little different. Yeah, all right. I'll hold it like this. Oh, that didn't work. All right, so let me try again. Oh, it's not that impressive. Maybe a third time, somebody else comes and says, you're using the wrong hand. Using the wrong hand, switch it around. Now, this is going to be real pretty. Um, switch around the other hand. Okay, I'll try that. I'll try that. Okay, here we go. Uh. This isn't working for me. What's the problem? What's the problem? You see, this thing doesn't work from my effort of pushing harder. Quite honestly, it works. When I just pull back and use it the way it's designed and then let it go. That's how our walk is with Christ. So many people do not understand Christianity at its most basic level. They believe that we all gather here together and we set rules for how we're going to live. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do this. Now let's go get them, boys. And I hit you on the backside as you go out the door, and you try really hard 
You try really hard to be honest and to, to be a good guy and to, to not have lust in your heart or greed or envy. And you go out that door and you're going to really try and uh, with all of your might. And by Sunday afternoon, you fail. One of the burdens of my heart as a pastor is to deal with that wrong thinking about all of this. To deal with the whole wrong concept of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a believer. Because the bulk of America and the bulk of our world and the bulk of Martinsburg and the bulk of your workplace, they don't get it. They've believed a lie. And I want to show it to you just briefly today. And quite honestly, we're going to work on it all summer. This is going to be the summer of Ephesians chapter 4. All right? We're going to spend the whole summer walking through Ephesians 4. But today, one verse. Let's read it. It's verse number 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I'm going to read it again because it's short. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, you'll notice that this verse starts with an I, therefore. Paul is the author. He wrote all six chapters of Ephesians. And when he writes this, he's in a prison cell. He has been arrested for preaching Christ. He came into a town, he told people about Jesus being the Messiah, and he was, re- he was attacked for that and arrested for that and placed in prison. He is in prison now as he writes this epistle. But the wonder of these six chapters of Ephesians, and I've shared this with you before, is that the first three chapters and the second three chapters are vastly different. They're vastly different. If you've been with us any amount of time, you've seen that. If you just took a casual reading of these six chapters, you would see that. You would observe this small fact. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's virtually nothing that you are told to do. There's virtually nothing that you are told to do in chapters 1, 2, and 3. At one place in chapter 2, there is one verb that is in the case that is telling you to do something. And all it says to do is remember. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are simply about what Christ has done for you and me. What he has offered us. The new life he has given to us who have received him. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about our position. They're all about what is true of us. They're all about principles that God has placed into the lives of those who have put their trust in Jesus. You see, there are people who have believed what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. People who have believed that and have received what Christ has offered. And God makes them a brand new creature. It is so remarkable. It is such a drastic change that when Jesus described it, the only words that he could use to bring forth the idea of the change that God has made is he said, we are born again. Born again. 
Now, the hearer of that, a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, was so shocked by that, as you should be, you should be shocked that Jesus says, you must be born again. That, should not, that shouldn't resonate with you. That should be like, what? And the hearer of Jesus' words said, what are you saying? I am going to go back into my mother's womb and be, and be born again? Is that what, it, is that what you're saying? That's, that's crazy talk. That's impossible. And Jesus basically says, you're pretty close to getting it. The change that Jesus makes is that drastic. A whole new creature born again. That's the first three chapters. That's the first three chapters. Using my illustration, that's describing the bow. It's describing the bow. This is what Christ has done in you. This is a bow. When you pull it back with an arrow, it shoots. Okay, there's probably a better explanation than that, but you get the idea. Chapters 4 through 6, what I'm I'm calling chapter 4, the masterpiece life, is now let God do his work. Let him do his work. And he will. And he will. Look back a page with me if you have your Bible and go back to Ephesians chapter 2. And look at verse number 10. Look what it says here. Ephesians 2 verse number 10. It says that we are his workmanship. Your translation in verse number 10 may say, we are his masterpiece. See, those who are in Christ, he is doing a work in us. In Greek, it's the word that we get the word poem from. It's masterpiece, workmanship. God is doing a work in us. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Now listen to this, that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. And this idea of walking is all through the New Testament. It's important we understand what it means. When we are to walk worthy, when we are to no longer walk as the pagans do, we're to walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. This is what this means. It's it's the way that we live our life. God's saying in 2.10, I have done a work in you. I have done a miracle in you. If you are in Christ, if you put your trust in Jesus, I have made you a brand new creature. The old, gone, brand new, all new, born again. And now, because I've done this work in you, I've given you great potential energy. I have allowed you to have all of this possibility. Now let go. And that letting go is our walk. When the Bible says, walk in wisdom, it's saying, hey, as you live your regular old life, You walk as Jesus would have you to walk. He's in you. You will live as he would have you to live. You don't walk as the pagans walk. You don't walk in foolishness. You walk in light. You walk in wisdom. You walk like Christ walked. See, our walk, when the Bible speaks of walk, it's talking about how our life reflects Christ. And you need to see it is every day where the rubber meets the road. It's not highbrow church activity. This is not your walk. 
This isn't your walk. This was an obstacle I had to overcome in my own understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. And this was the tool that God used in my life. I I emailed my wife this morning. I said, can you find that brown Bible that I wrote a bunch of stuff in clear back in the 90s? Can you bring it in? Because I just want to hold it because there's nothing special about this. Okay, it's not a rabbit's foot or anything. But I want to remember what this meant for me. This was how God showed me through the reading of his word that he's doing a work inside of me. And then my life will reflect it. Before I really understood this, I'll be honest with you, I hated church. I hated this. Is that, do you remember feeling that way? I do. Because I would come here and I thought, oh, this is, okay, we're all putting on our show. This is, this is our little, you know, masquerade. Let's do this thing. We'll play this game for an hour. Man, I'm hungry. Let's go home. Right? That was me. Until I understood this truth from 210. That God has done a work in us. And we, if you're in Christ... He says that you are his poem, his masterpiece, his workmanship. You are the work of art that God is trying to work in and through. And he has placed a new man in you. And as you allow him to release That new man scratches his way out. And you'll see it. And your family will see it. And your neighbors will see it. And what they see, the it I'm referring to, that's our walk. That's what the Bible calls our walk. In the back of this Bible, I wrote, it's the, here it is. It just, there's many things I wrote here over the years when I was just a young man. And I was trying to really just understand what, what it is I was trying to, to, uh, to, to, what it meant for me to be a follower of Jesus. And I wrote this one day, God, let my life catch up with my belief. Let my life catch up with my belief. That's what Paul was saying. In the simple fact that we've had three chapters of who we are in Christ, and now we're going to see how that plays out. So let's just walk through my outline for today, okay? First of all, I want you to see that God is calling us to a walk, to walk as Jesus walked, regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of our circumstances. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Paul's in a prison cell, and that is not a 2017, you know, state-of-the-art cell. That's not what this is. He is literally chained to a guard. He's there for an extended period of time. He's paying for his cell. How'd you like that? Who pays for the cells here? Taxpayers, right? Paul has to fund his own prison cell. And he's chained to a guard. 
And he's simply there, not because he's a thief, not because he's a murderer, not because he's a bad guy, because he preaches Christ. He's placed in prison. And so he's writing these believers and he's saying, you know I'm in prison, right? He said it three times in these six chapters. Three different times he said, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord in verse 1 of chapter 4. Look back at verse number 1 in chapter 3. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not a bragger. In in Philippians chapter 1, he speaks against his potential of bragging over what he could value. He says, I count those things that were important a loss. I count them as dung, he actually says. So he's not bragging. That when he says, I'm a prisoner, he's not trying to say, hey, look at me. Pat me on the back. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this to us, and the Spirit of God would have this to say to us. Regardless of your circumstances, you and I are to walk as Christ walked. Regardless of our circumstances, this is what the new birth does. Whether you're in a tough environment whether you're in a tough family, whether you're in a tough marriage, whether you're in a tough employment, I don't care. Regardless of what the the circumstances are, you and I are the workmanship of God. And he will take where you are and he will work through you to allow you to walk as Christ walked. This is his promise. If I told you God had a promise for you, would you believe it? This is his promise. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. That we would live out this good life. And walk in him. Now why is it that Paul is so confident. That regardless of our circumstances. We can walk as Christ walked. Listen there's some hints right here in Ephesians. There's some hints. And and I want you to see that I'm going to draw upon the rest of the book. This is how you read the Bible. This is how you read the Bible. You draw upon the Bible to explain itself. So look back with me at verse number 5 of chapter 1. 1, 5. Why is it, here's the question I'm trying to answer right now. Why is it that regardless of the circumstances, God will work in us to walk in obedience to him, to walk as Christ walked. First of all, in verse number five, is this truth. Look what it says in 1.5. I can read it if you don't have it. Listen. God predestined us for adoption as sons. The first reason I want us to realize that no matter our circumstances, we can, God will allow us and will produce in us a walk that reflects Christ is he's our father. He's our father. What does a good father do? What does a good dad do? I'm not talking about deadbeat dads. I'm not talking about sitcom dads. I'm talking about a good dad. What's a good dad do? He provides. He provides for his family. Not just financially, but in all areas of their life. He sacrifices to give to his kids. He provides. He protects. Listen, you come in my house in the middle of the night. 
You need to know it's not Pastor Lowell coming down the hallway. Okay? It's Dad coming down the hallway. And I'm going to do what needs done to protect my family. It's what a dad does. Your father is God if you're in Christ. He protects. He provides. In Ephesians 5, I I, got to go quick here. In Ephesians 5, it speaks of that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. You see, Paul's using all these metaphors to help us understand our relationship with God. Now he says that we are the bride of Christ. Well, what does a husband do for his wife? What does a husband do for his wife? Well, that husband prioritizes his wife. He prioritizes that wife. And he sacrifices to meet her needs. He may be the leader of his home, but she is the priority. And so he sacrifices to meet her needs. Listen. You and I are the bride of Christ. As a man, that's hard for me to picture. We sang about it today, you know. Like a bride. I won't sing it. Waiting. That, you know that one? Right, okay, you got it, yeah. Like me, a bride, what, dressed in white? That's weird, right? That's not the idea. It's a metaphor. Speaking of God's care for you, his church, regardless of the circumstances. There's more, there's more. In Ephesians 2.20, God speaks of us, the church, being a building that God is building. (laughs) We're a structure that God is building. So there's a plan. He's an architect, folks. He's an architect. Things that come down the chain to you, things that, that happen in your life, there's an architect working this out. There's a planner working this out. There is no surprise to God. God doesn't say, I didn't think of that. It comes to you because it has come through his hand. And he is the architect. He is the designer of what he's doing. So whatever these circumstances are, whatever these circumstances are, you might say, but lo, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm in. You don't know how hard this is. You don't know how challenging this is. You don't know how alone I am. You don't know what it's like to be out here all by myself where everybody's attacking me. You don't know. And listen, you may very well be right. I may not know. But I'm not your father. I'm not your husband. I'm not the architect. It's not me that needs to know. It's God who does know. He knows. Paul said, I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. So let's go back to that passage to see what else he has to say. Regardless of the circumstances, we are to walk in this way. And what does that way look like? Well, he says that he urges us, which by the way is a very strong word. It means to plead or to beg That's what Paul was doing. He is begging the believers. He is pleading with them and urging them. Know who you are. And walk that out. It's, I might reflect in a small piece of that now even. As I'm urging us to allow Christ to work in us and then to walk in him. But what does it say about this? Now he speaks of that 
this walk is about balancing your belief. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Our life should be a balance with our belief. Now, here's what this means. That word that, that is translated there, um, in a manner worthy, is the word axios, okay? And what it means, listen to this, it's really fascinating when you know what the word means. It's a Greek word. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek, translated into English, and we have all kinds of dictionaries that tell us what those words mean, okay? You don't have to study Greek. You just have to be curious. There's all kinds of apps that will help you know what this stuff means. You can find it if you're curious, I'm going to tell you what this word is. It's, it's fascinating. You know a balance scale, right? All right? For the, uh, you know, the less informed, think seesaw. Okay. So, you know that thing, right? That word axios, it's the word for a weight that you put on one side. Okay? So, I guess I'll put it over here. You put the axios on, pop, and it balances. Walk in a way that there is balance of what you've been called to. That's what it means. It's the word for a weight used for a balance, like on a scale. So what Paul's saying is, you walk in a manner worthy of this calling that I have spent all of this time telling you about. All of chapters 1, 2, 3, I've told you all about what Christ has done. Now let your life be a balance of that. It's what I wrote in that Bible, wherever it is, here it is. Let my life reflect my belief. Let my life catch up with my belief. That's what revival really is. It's when my life, when I'm living in my life, catches up with what God has taught me in his word. And that is axios. That is balance. That is my life being worthy of this calling. Let me tell you what it's not. It's important to know what it's not. It's not you're going to earn salvation. It's not live in a way that weights the scale so you are good enough for God. That's not what it means. That's what the vast of Americans think it means. That's not what it means. It's not live in a way that God says, oh, it was so worth it for me to die for her. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean live this way so then God will like you. That's not what it means. It means this. 1 John chapter 4. We love because God first loved us. You know that? See, there's, that's a picture of what God wants to do in us. God is the initiator of this action. God is the provider of of the strength. God is the strength of your soul. Too many people are trying to do this with their own strength. And God says, no. I've done all this work in you. Just let it go. Let it go. Balance your belief. And then lastly, it says here, that I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see, when we look at walking in a manner worthy, I want you to see this now, okay? Everybody look up here. When we look at walking in a manner worthy, it's looking back at what God has done. Okay? Walk in a manner that aligns, that balances with what he has done. He has made you a new creature, let it flow. It's looking back. But this next phrase, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do you see what Paul was just done with our little face? We were looking this way. He took our face and said, look forward. Look forward. You see what I've done in you. Now you look forward to what I'm going to do through you. Look forward to the calling I have on your life. Look forward to the people I want you to point to me. Look forward to being part of those that I've called out of this world to live, to influence this world. We are to align our life now with that calling. It's beautiful what this verse is saying to us. Regardless of our circumstances, we can look back at what Christ has done and see the wealth that he has provided us and then look forward to what God is calling us to. See, God didn't... Think about the logic of what, how we look at it. So many of us, we think that Jesus saved us just simply so that someday... I'll die and I'll fly away and go to heaven. Someday. Maybe. But meanwhile, I'll just do my little thing. That is not, that does not align with the Bible. When God made you a new creature, when he initiated into your life and caused you to be reborn, he did it for a purpose. And that purpose was to live for his glory, was to point people to him. And what all that means is this, that now that I'm over here in my future life, okay, and I'm living over here, regardless of the circumstances, you see, we're doing full circle now, regardless of the circumstances, no matter what circumstance I'm in, God is with me. My father is with me. My husband is caring for me. The great architect is in control. So my mouth and my actions will say, regardless of my circumstance, God is good. He's good to me. Everything is falling apart. Everything is falling apart. But God is good to me. He's close. He's real. And I have a relationship with him. So see, Paul's saying, look back on what Jesus has done. Look back over here at the new creature that you are. Allow that new creature to take hold and to scratch its way out. And then live that life that you have on purpose. I just want to say three things here, just that last slide. As we talk about 
our, how, how this really plays out in our life. I want to say a brief word about each of these things. Your intimacy with God. Say just a brief word about that. I tell you, to quote the great Mr. T, I pity the fool who tries to live this life without intimacy with God. I don't know how you do it. Actually, the reality is you don't. You don't. If you're a believer today, you desperately need to be in God's word. You need your father to whisper in your ear. You need your husband to come and say, it's all right. You need your architect and designer to say, I got things under control. And without regularly being in God's word, that characterizing your walk, you're going to be a desperate, lonely, discouraged person. Intimacy with God. Your community with other people. You need other believers who, are, who understand who they are in Christ and who are living out his call. You need them around you. Remember, 168 hours in a week. You're here for one hour and 15 minutes, some of you. Some stretch out to two hours and 15 minutes. You get the, you get the point. Most of the time, we're not here. We need other believers in our life who are prodding us on. So we don't quit the, way, quit the race. We need them. And I just challenge you with, as you're out in the world, regardless of your circumstances, whatever may come. Some of us have rough things that come, I know. Regardless of our circumstances, if we're, if we're walking in intimacy with God, in community with others, God will use us to influence people around us to him. This is his plan. I trust you've received him. And you're allowing him to chase you down and being intimate with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for these words. I pray that regardless of our circumstances, we will look to what you've done and what you're doing and how you've called us. God, get rid of the false ideas we have. Lord, when we believe we have to earn you or earn your approval or to earn your steady hand. Lord, you've told us in your word, if we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So Lord, I pray that we would do just that, that today we would draw near to you in our heart and we would find what that means and we would chase after you. Prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.